I guess uh, in good news this week, well, good news for all the, the geeks or the nerds, but would it be nerds or geeks or both, geeks and nerds? It's probably, probably a little bit of both. Right? The new Star Wars trailer. Or, so it's the second Star Wars trailer you just it's told me. It's the second trailer for the new movie that's coming out uh, in December. I believe. I don't know if it's coming out on Christmas or not, but it did, did say Christmas in the newest trailer. Um, and obviously Star Wars fans are losing their minds over this thing. Going crazy. Now, fun fact, and we'll get to you in a second. Um... <laughs> I, I only recently saw the original trilogy. I think last year my wife forced me to watch it. I'm a huge nerd, obviously, huge geek, huge space guy, but I just never had the time to actually sit down and watch all the episodes of Star Wars. Or I should say movies, but they're technically episodes. But um, I haven't watched the new trilogy yet. Everyone tells me it's probably a waste of time. And the new movies that are coming out follow the original trilogy. So I guess watching the new movies probably won't and when i say new i mean like the last three not the first three right um they probably won't really help in in terms of understanding the new movies that are coming out uh -huh. this year and next year uh but you have not seen any of the star wars movies no i'm i'm pretty much clueless uh, mm. i mean i know obviously i know of some of the characters i know darth vader I know there was a guy, Darth Maul. I don't know if he's still around. I don't think he is. I feel like he's one of the older characters, right? To be honest, I don't know. Oh, okay. I, yeah, <laughs> I don't really know. And I know there's like the X-Wing fighter planes that they have. Uh, and that's pretty much... Oh, and there's a Death Star. Other than that, I don't really know much of anything about Star Wars. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not far ahead, too much ahead of you. I've Again, I've watched the original trilogy, but... I haven't. I need to watch them again and again to really start understanding the whole Star Wars universe. Um, I'll probably do that now that Star Wars has finally gone digital. It's on iTunes and Amazon and Google. Right. I'll probably just buy that and watch the trilogies maybe once or twice again before the new movie comes out. But I'm still kind of, you know, Darth Maul, I don't know if he... I, I do know that Darth Vader, I think, died in the original trilogies or the last movie of the original trilogies. And it looks like Based on the trailer, he might make an appearance again. I don't know, but I, I guess the the new trailer is it's it's interest it's interesting, um, but you know we'll see. Yeah, well, I guess the real question then is, does that make us frauds having a podcast called We Geeks, and yet we're virtually Star Wars and in Star Trek it's the same thing. I'm illiterate. I know there's a guy named Spock, and I know they do this thing with this thing with their hands. I don't even, I don't even know which way it is actually. Yeah, you, that's. But, about right. but anyway, I guess with that in mind, this is the 10th episode we did it. of the We Geeks podcast. We'd like to, we welcome made it you. To number 10. We'd like to welcome you guys all in, and thanks for listening and supporting us all along the way. You can check out the write-up and see any of the stuff uh, that we talk about in the podcast over at tutvid.com slash wegeeks slash episode 10, and that's the number 10. Mm. And you can also subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes and Stitcher. And if you're watching this, we might do a new thing going forward. If you're subscribed on iTunes or you're not subscribed yet and you do go ahead and subscribe, leave us a review on our iTunes page. There'll be a link on either Nathaniel's uh, website or wegeekspodcast.com or we'll be tweeting it. And we'll be reading some of those reviews on future episodes. So subscribe on iTunes Leave us a review. Give us a good rating. Or if you like the show, give us a good rating. If you hate it, give us a bad rating. Maybe we'll read that too. Um, and Those ones will be more fun. Those will be fun. We'll love those. And before we get on, uh, 
big thank you to our $25 patron over at patreon.com slash wegeeks. Our good old friend Valdis, or Valdis, I still can't pronounce his name, I'm so sorry. You can find him at camis, K-A-M-I-S, 1232.deviantart.com. And if you love our show, head over to patreon.com slash wegeeks. Throw us a dollar or two every month, and we'll be very happy people. So, yeah. So, that's it. We Geeks, episode 10. Um, I can't believe we made the, it this far. Yeah. Um it's going to be about another 10 episodes before you get your Apple Watch. I just heard the news from Apple <sighs> that they quietly removed the coming, what was it, April 24th, I think they said on their website originally, yeah. or 27th or something. And now they're talking about June uh, or, or early July dates or something. Uh, yeah. How do you, how do you feel about that, uh, Howard? How do, well, Apple uh, has having, shunned you. Having pre-ordered one of these things, I'm a little bit annoyed, but... My order still says May 13th to the 27th or something, which probably means I'll get it the 27th. But there's very conflicting things around this whole thing. First of all, you're right. Apple did remove the coming April 24th. And some people are saying they removed it to not give false impressions to people who have not ordered it yet, that it's not coming April 24th for those people. And they're saying that it probably won't even be in stores to buy until June, which is crazy. Yeah, that's what I but heard. At the, yeah, but at the same time, I don't know if it was an Apple spokesperson or someone just with connected sources, that they're saying that the pre-order dates that we see now, some people are seeing May, some people are seeing June, mm-hmm. will actually be much quicker than those dates. So hopefully my watch ships either closer to May 13th or even before that. Uh, of course, I will be out of town all next week, so hopefully it doesn't ship miraculously by Friday of next week because I won't be here to get it. Um, But I hope it ships a little bit sooner, but it seems like the demand has been absolutely crazy. The rumor is that 2.3 million Apple Watches have been sold, but the crazier rumor is that 1% of those have been the Apple Watch edition. I didn't know that many people had that much money to throw away. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, one percent. Stupid. One percent of two point three million uh, is a lot, and I'm not even doing. Of course, the math. that's just a rumor. So who right. knows? But. Well, I also heard that the within thirty minutes, whatever stock Apple had of the Apple Watches was gone. Which part of me is surprised it took thirty minutes, really, because everybody. It had to have just been that's how long it took the servers to process the the orders, because you had thousands and thousands and thousands of people staying up late waiting. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, it's- well, yeah, I mentioned this last week, and when I was pre-ordering my Apple Watch, I stupidly made the mistake of changing the address to the address in Los Angeles that we'll be going to next week. Yeah, and within that, literally within the minute, the shipping time went from April twenty-fourth to May thirteenth. So within minutes, that thing was just already sold out. It was nuts. Right. Yeah, it's pretty wild. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean. I- I, I, ultimately, I don't think it's going to hurt Apple. It's just kind of like a little bit of, you know, I, I could see some people feeling a little bait and switched. Um, I mean, because Apple's released so many products now, come on. You've got to have a better idea of the, either the stock you need. And I understand physically you need the natural resources to actually make the stuff and mm-hmm. you need the factory that you're working with to be able to produce the stuff. And if you're selling 2.3 million units of anything, it's going to take a long, long time to produce all that stuff. I get it. Um but I mean, come on! You've got to, you've got to at least have a better figure on the numbers that you're you're handling here. And you know, it feels sort of, or it seems sort of like Apple went best case scenario. If the fewest people order and the factories produce at the fastest rate, let's put that date up because then we have a little bit of plausible deniability. 
But now you have them obviously taking this this date down because you know everybody and their mother who's ordered one realizes that there's no way they're getting it by uh, April 24th. I mean that would be next week you'd be getting it. Right. Yep. I mean, so mm-hmm. uh, next Friday, actually. Uh, so yeah, it would. It, it's kind of crazy. It it seems a little weird. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it's going to hurt Apple, but I can definitely see how it would be a little, you know, annoying. So, yeah, and it seems to happen with a lot of their products, especially their mobile products, whether it's the iPhone or the iPad, is they release it at midnight, the pre-orders, and yep. then within an hour or so, the shipping time slips until a f- for a few months, which is. Nuts, but I guess that's just the demand. I guess I can't keep up. Right. So now, are you actually having it shipped out to L.A.? I know you're going to L.A., and I want to ask you about that. Um, but uh, so what, what are you doing? I mean, if you have it shipped out to L.A. and it goes there physically and you're not there. Right. Well, originally when I pre-ordered it, I changed the address to uh, the full screen office in Los Angeles because that's where I'll be when it was supposed to ship on April 24th. Um, obviously... I'm leaving on the 25th, so I'll be back in Colorado on the 25th. Gotcha. It's unlikely to ship by that time, so I did go back and change the address back to my home in Colorado. So if miraculously it ships on the 24th, then I won't be here to get it, but likely it'll ship in Colorado. Gotcha. So, well, that's good, at least, then you're not going to have to fly back out to L.A. uh, to pick up (laughs) your Apple Watch. I totally would, though. So because you're going to be away in L.A. next week, we're going to have a little bit of a different show uh, next week. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. We'll have to figure out when to record this thing. Uh, I do leave on Sunday, so maybe tomorrow we'll, or even later today we'll record something else. Yeah. We'll probably do, we probably won't be able to touch on new news because obviously I won't be able to record it the day before like we usually do. Right. But we'll probably record something uh, like about a certain topic and we'll just kind of run with it for about half an hour or an hour and see what happens. Yeah, I think a topic-based, the first questionless We Geeks episode. Um, and and it'll, I think it'll be a great experiment too because, I mean, if it turns out amazing and the people love it and we've both kind of cut our teeth, you know, doing uh, topic-based tutorials. So to do something where we both do something together um, could be, I think, kind of cool, kind of fun. I think so, yeah. It should be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on to the news of the week... We actually have an interesting article here, which was found on io9.com, which I think was uh, sourced from Bored Panda. And it's this photographer, his name is Atif Syed. I think I pronounced that right. He's a Pakistani nature photographer. If you check out his Facebook or Twitter, or sorry, Facebook or Flickr, he has some amazing nature photography of birds and landscapes, beautiful stuff. Yeah. He went to a safari zoo park near Lahore. I have no idea where that is. I don't even know if I pronounced that right. Um, and he took a photo. It's where all the promiscuous French girls hang out. Oh. <laughs> or in this case, prom- promiscuous lions, yeah, apparently. Right. He was in his Jeep. And this guy walked out of his Jeep and started taking pictures of a lion, which started off the lion was quite far away. But I guess the shutter on his lens or the camera was making so much noise it caught the lion's attention and the lion started running towards him and at one point the lion was he estimates was about 10 feet away from him moving towards him which would have freaked me out but if you take a look at this photo and we'll link it in Nathaniel's post or my post or whatever post we have It's a beautiful photo. I mean, one of these photos is like a a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And to think that this guy was standing there with absolutely nothing protecting him between him and the lion is just terrifying even thinking about it. But 
I mean, the photo came out beautifully. I'm glad this guy did get away. He did j- jump in his Jeep just in time and drove away. But man, what a photo. Yeah, I mean, quite terrifying. Um, I, I It is an amazing photo. It's a great shot of this lion, and the thing looks like it's ready to kill whatever's oh, it in its path. I'm kind of curious as to what happened to the camera because you've seen like the videos of the bears. Like there was a couple years ago, a guy rented a Nikon and this huge lens and left it out there and a bear sort of like pulled it over and and did all kinds of damage to it or something. Um, So I'm kind of curious as to what happened to the camera. Um, Well, I'm I'm even wondering if he was if the camera was even on a tripod or anything. It almost sounds like he stepped out of his Jeep with the camera in his hands and started taking these photos. Right, and and. And if that's the case, the photo that he got, the lion was pretty darn close when he took the photo uh-huh. because it's a pretty cropped in shot of the lion, you know, and he's sitting there crouching ready to leap. Um, so even if that's a 200 millimeter lens on a half decent camera, that lion is, you know, less than 100 feet away to begin with. So I, I think the rule in like Yellowstone National Park is if it's a bison Never let it get closer than 25 yards or 75 feet. Uh, And if it's a grizzly bear, 100 yards or 300 feet is the general Mm. rule, which seems to make sense. Of course, if you're there and you see it, I guess naturally some people, um, I'm not going to say I would or wouldn't be one of those people. I probably would be um, who wants to get closer because it's sort of like it's right here in front of me. Even if I didn't have the camera just to see it, you know, and you really get to, I mean, a lion is so muscular and huge and, you know, everything like that and impressive that I'm sure it would be cool to get close to it. But, oof, man. Yeah, when when it sees you and it turns and it's it's running toward you, I bet you uh, you've never run faster in your entire life. Oh, I bet. And I've had a lot of friends who actually have been on like these zoo excursions, not like zoos like the Denver Zoo or the Miami Zoo, but like actual African safaris and things like that. like Botswana or something. Yeah, where there's nothing between you and the animal. And they said they could never step foot in in a zoo like like we know, again, because it's just, there's nothing, you can't compare it. It's just you and the animal and your camera. And it's kind of like life or death if you really piss off the animal. Yeah. But the photos that I've seen from these places, from my friends and these photographers, are just breathtaking. I wish I had the guts to do that. Yeah, I mean, uh, the biggest difference, other than obviously cages versus no cages, is it's like 20 bucks to go to your local zoo and like, you know, 10 grand to go on one of those good safaris. (laughs) So there's a little bit of a difference. Anyway, moving on, uh, we have a cool, it's sort of a cool set of photos by this photographer who shaved off half of his beard, just right down the middle, mustache, beard, and then started sticking stuff to the other side of his face to complete the beard. Because why not? And Yeah, and he just shot this series of self-portraits. So he has, like, you know, chocolate sprinkles. He has cockroaches. He has one where it's plastic army men, and he even has, like, little tiny bullet holes, like, up above his eye with, like, you know, fake blood trickling down his face. Um, And I don't don't even remember all the different ones. Um, But I I feel like I didn't see all of them. I went to his website, and I was looking around, and there's some that are listed there. But I think there's an Instagram out there somewhere that I haven't found um, that I'll try to find. And if I find it, I'll link it in the article. Um, but really kind of a cool idea. Um, I've never grown my beard out that long. I'm not really into, I don't know. I just have never been able to get into growing my facial hair out that long. Um, but it's a really cool idea and really well done. Uh, it doesn't look very Photoshopped. I don't think the majority of it is Photoshopped. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, 
but it just looks really well done. Yeah, it's probably not something that I would ever do. Again, kind of like you, I can't really grow my beard. I don't know if I can't, but I don't really want to grow my beard that long. I've been scruffy a little bit, and I've had the... I've been in situations where I've kind of shaved off half my beard or shaved off just the beard and left the mustache just to see what it would look like. Oof. But I never would actually think, you know, maybe I should uh, take some photos with pencil shavings on my face or chocolate sprinkles. It's I wonder what goes through someone's mind. I mean, it's brilliant. It's a great photo or great set of photos. But how does that even come to his mind? Like, you know, I should shave off half my beard and stick chocolate sprinkles on my face because, well, you know, it's I, a Saturday. I mean, I think, I think shaving half the beard, that's fine. Because, like, as a kid, you know, you'd always think about, what if I shave right. my hair into, like, a mohawk or something? That kind of stuff always goes through your mind. But then to have the idea to, to then paste stuff on. And the thing I was thinking about, too, is it, it probably took more than a day to get a series of photos. Um, oh, sure. So that means he was sleeping with half the beard, showering with half the beard, maybe going out on town with half the beard. That, I think, would be even cooler, is seeing this guy with half a beard and half other stuff in like a public uh, environment and getting people's reactions and stuff like that. I think that would be kind of neat. That would be interesting. But yeah, oh, just a cool. Did it say what camera equipment he used or I mean it didn't look like anything too extravagant, but uh, No, I I didn't I didn't see uh what camera equipment he used. I wouldn't be surprised. It was a Petapixel article, so I wouldn't be surprised if they mentioned or they asked him what it was, but I didn't see it listed on his website. Um, and I didn't see it on Petapixel, um, but I may have missed it as well. Mm. I'm sure it was some sort of high-end DSLR. But very soon, possibly, he may even be able to use his iPhone to get images like that. Our next story is actually a story that Apple has acquired a company called Lynx, L-I-N-X. It's a camera manufacturer or camera maker based in Israel, and they specialize in a lot of different things, including making very small camera modules. And if you have an iPhone 6 or an iPhone 6 Plus, I have a 6 Plus in my hand, the camera actually protrudes in the back, which I thought honestly would bother me a lot when I uh, when I ordered the phone, but it really doesn't bother me that much. It kind of tilts a little bit if you push down on the other side, mm. but it's not too bad. But I would definitely prefer if that camera was nice and flush with the body. And apparently the types of cameras that this company Lynx makes will allow Apple to finally, I shouldn't say finally, but again, create cameras that are nice and flush and incorporate a lot of different other technologies such as 3D object modeling and real-time background replacement for video calls, uh, being able to measure the true distance between objects and dimensions of those objects. and. Back in the day when Steve Jobs was still around, he had a lot of interest in that Lytro technology, mm -hmm. which as a standalone product, I've never really been convinced because it's it's great in concept where you're able to take a photo and then adjust the focus afterwards. But the images that I've seen from Lytro and other competitors are very low quality. Yeah. But if you can figure out a way, and maybe this Lynx company can do this, if you can figure out a way how to squeeze that technology into a mobile phone so you're able to take the photo later, or sorry, take the photo and then adjust the focus later so you can have like a 2.5 focal length or maybe 1.8 or maybe even expand it to 6 or 7 to see more things in focus, that would be really cool. And it sounds like this Lynx company has a lot of tricks up their sleeves, so it would be very interesting I hope it's available in the next iPhone because there was a rumor a few months back that the next iPhone, I guess, would be the iPhone 6S Plus. Yeah, I'd heard that thing. Yeah, right. Um, it's going to have 
an amazing camera. So, and to me, honestly, that's one of the biggest selling points in a mobile phone is the camera because I don't really carry around my DSLR like I used to because my phone can take amazing photos. But now if this Lynx company that promises DSLR performance in phones is actually true, that's going to be incredible. Yeah, I mean, when I saw it, uh, promising DSLR performance in phones, it's a very broad statement, number one. Oh, um, Because, I mean, we've had DSLRs for a while, so we're we talking like old Canon 1D, or I'm sorry, old Canon 10Ds uh, kind of performance, or, you know, 1DX performance. Um mm. And I, I know there's a lot of physical limitations right now as far as what they can do with the materials they have. Um, but I, did you check out this Lynx company's website? It's it's an abysmal website. It I is, have not, but I'm not surprised. No joke. It is. I mean, it's it's worse than what you're envisioning. It's just like oh, a white background. I'm at it it's, right now. It's it's a yeah. Let's get your initial reaction on the website. It's terrible. Um, it, it literally has like an image at the top and then. Like a few lines of text. Completely unstyled. There's no CSS sheet on this website. Right. It's all aligned left, right? It's well, I hope their cameras are better designed than their website. <laughs> right. That, that was that was almost a thought that went through my mind. It was just very funny. And to think that this company got twenty million bucks from Apple is 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 crazy. Which go which which further points to um, there's I would think there's not a lot of BS and smoke screens here. They probably have pretty good technology. Um, I, I would hope so. And part of, like you mentioned Lytro, but Lytro leaned heavily on a lot of software as well. Um, right. So if this Lynx company not only is able to provide amazing cameras, maybe some of those physical limitations can be overcome uh, with amazing software solutions, you know, where you're taking multiple photos and getting a crazier depth of field, like a, like a high dynamic range photo, HDR photo, um, or something like there's a, there's an effect called Brenizer where you're able to shoot with a you know a lens that's maybe f 2.8 but you end up getting like f 0.95 at the end of it the way you stitch the photos together and shoot it and it allows you to get extremely shallow depth of field um so i mean there's a lot of different stuff you can do software wise um and i would imagine even software wise uh when it comes to shooting photos that are much higher resolution um now i wouldn't mind having higher resolution if i just have higher quality and better bit depth um mm-hmm. and, and like a decent front-facing camera I hate using the oh, front face. I hope so. I was trying to teach my father-in-law how to take a selfie the other day in the re- in a restaurant, um, and he's using the front face camera, and he doesn't know that you can use the volume buttons to take the picture. So he's like, you know, the big finger smacks into the front <laughs> of the phone and shakes the whole thing. So I said, why don't you try turning it around? I know you don't see yourself in the screen, but that's fine because you're also not getting those pictures. You always see those selfie shots where somebody's looking at, obviously looking at the camera screen instead of the camera itself, and it right. always looks very awkward. So I said, why don't you turn it around? You can look at the camera, and and by holding the camera out, you know, like this. I'll actually pick my phone up here to to describe to you. You know, your finger falls right on your volume button here. So, uh, whoops, I'm holding it the wrong way. In in my instance, my thumb would fall on the volume button. So I can just hold it out like that. Boom, take the picture, and I'm good to go. Um, and he had he had a lot of trouble doing that. But um, the point is, um, you know, it would be great to have. Uh, you know, be able to not have to, you know, flip the phone around, have decent image and video from the front facing camera uh, for when that's necessary. And not that I'm going around taking a lot of selfies, but something like Snapchat, if you're doing little editorial videos throughout the day and building a story of a project you're working on or, or just Periscope uh, or Periscope. Exactly. Anything like that where you're able to have a higher quality front facing camera. I would love to see that. 
Um, yeah, and they're talking about color and things like that uh, that would all be improved with this Lynx company. And $20 million really is a drop in the bucket. I know it's $20 million, but I mean, remember, was it Facebook or somebody? I can't remember who it was. I, at LinkedIn, we just talked about them buying lynda.com for $1.5 right. Snapchat had a $3.5 billion offer that they turned down. Uh, Facebook bought Instagram for a billion dollars, whatever, two years ago now. Mm-hmm. So $20 million is nothing, comparatively oh, speaking. Nothing. When um, Apple does sell the next iPhone, the iPhone 6S Plus or whatever it is, that'll be like an hour worth of sales, and they'll make that stuff back up. Right, and and the buzz they'll get out of it if it's an incredible camera or the 3D stuff like you're talking about. The, Apple needs to do something to make this next phone uh, explosive. You know, they, they do, because there's so much competition. Like with the Galaxy S6 Edge, which looks like a fantastic phone. It has a few gimmicky features, but then again, mm-hmm. the iPhone does as well. Right. But there's a lot of competition, and Apple, honestly, has been falling a, falling a little bit behind over the years. Of course, they're catching up with the larger screens and some other technology here yeah, and there, I mean, but there hasn't it, been anything revolutionary right. in their new phones. Te- technologically, they've been falling behind, but I think they've been winning the user experience war, which is every bit as important as the technology. You know, Ansel Adams, there's nothing worse than a sharp image of a fuzzy concept, right? So technically, you can take the best photo in the world but if there's no meaning behind it who cares so you can spit technology and processing speeds and ram to me all day long at the end of the day it's a practical device that i need to be able to use and if it's effective and fast and does everything that i need i'm going to be happy and i think 99 percent of people out there are going to be happy with that um but uh and i forget where i was going with this but i was going somewhere with oh oh this is what i wanted to say uh with regard instead of focusing on the specs that are currently there and fighting with Android and and HTC and, uh, you know, all these different phone manufacturers now, right? Samsung and blah, 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 blah. Instead of focusing on megapixels and processing speeds and RAM and, you know, external memory storage size and screen real estate and, you know, pixels packed into a screen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If Apple's able to expand beyond that and say, look, we're just going to offer a whole new arena of technology that's not even available in a phone right now. Uh, that being, let's say, the 3D photography, 3D video, or 3D you know, modeling, whatever it is they're going to be able to do when it comes to different camera stuff. Um, and if that's just one aspect of what they can offer, you know, what do you what do you compare yourself to when there's nothing comparable on the marketplace? And that's where Apple always has been. I mean, think about when the first iPhone came out. You didn't compare yourself to all the other touchscreen phones because there weren't any. You know what I mean? Right. There was there was nothing like the smartphone that was text, phone, email, web, everything, and then wrapped into this very computer esque looking device. Like the, the the way the UI, I'm sorry, I should say, looked was very computer esque. It looked very much like something you would see in a desktop or a laptop. There was nothing like it. You know, BlackBerry and the web you would get on your phone was so SMS. You know, it was just that very 8-bit screen. Um, and then you had the iPhone come out and there was nothing to compare it to. And the same thing with the iPod, um, you know, and, and so on and so forth. Apple's always done that when they really pushed the iMac, the first iMac, right? I mean, the whole self-contained computer, it was, it was its own thing. It was its own entire entity, entity, I should say. So I think if, if iPhone can leverage this, uh, camera maker into something that nobody else even offers that would be where apple can once again say look we're different again we've done something mind-blowing which they haven't done since steve jobs has died i don't think right and and i i agree to an extent but also there's that whole factor of gimmicky 
releases. Mm-hmm. And Apple's been a, a guilty of this, and Samsung's everyone's been guilty of this, where they just release features in their new products just to say, look, we're releasing this, nobody else has it. But when you're looking at it, when you really start using it and uh, and looking at how it works, there's really no purpose for these features, like including a 3D camera or including this something that would measure the distance between objects. It would be nice to have in a phone, but I don't know if I would really use it. I would probably use a 3D camera four times, mm-hmm. upload something to Instagram that nobody would able to be really able to look at, right. and then I'll probably never use it again. So I think the the really what Apple needs to do is not only just release these products or these features, but also prove to people why they need them, which right. I think for the Apple Watch has been very difficult for them. They've released this Apple Watch with a whole ton of features, including this this digital touch thing, mm-hmm. which is incredibly gimmicky, and they can't really prove or tell people why they need this feature. So I think that's going to be one of the challenges that Apple's going to face with some of these technologies that's coming in this camera yeah i mean i think you need to find the uniqueness and practicality um right you know i mean for instance the other day i was i was shooting at a local university and the woman who was with us kind of as the creative director if you will she had a step counter she was wearing like on her hip it looked like an old pager I'm like what are you what is that she's like oh yeah i count my steps and you know me and some of the girls in the office we try to compete to see who gets the most steps in every day um you know and and i immediately think oh well the apple watch would be perfect for something like that you know, um, now, not that everybody's doing that or even close to everybody's doing that, but there are practical applications and there certainly is a lot of practical applications for, you know, camera improvement in the phone. Um, and you know, that's the job of the research and development people. And then Apple's PR team to, you know, take that stuff and say, all right, here we go. We got this great new camera. Here's, here's how you can use it. Here's a problem that's going to solve. So anyway, speaking of cameras and amazing camera quality, there's this super cool, uh, Vimeo video that was just featured by the staff um, not very long ago, a couple days ago. Um, and it's this black and white sort of what if you gave a street photographer a super high-end cinematic video camera. Um, and it's sort of these videos that look like they're like moving street photographs. Really, really cool. Slow motion. It's very... Um, ethereal, very almost haunting, um, great black and white footage. It was shot on a red Epic dragon, uh, which is an incredibly expensive camera, but also an incredible camera. Um, and I went to this, um, this company or the, the, the cinematographer, I guess it was a cinematographer, Tim Sessler. Uh, it was a collaboration between Tim Sessler and Cameron Michael, uh, who are both uh, cinematographers. But I believe it was Tim Sessler's website I went to, and he had some other shots that he'd done around New York, just of actually New York, not necessarily street photography, with uh, the Red Epic. And I just it blows my mind every time I see this uh, this this kind of camera and the footage when it's handled properly. People who know how to color grade and post-produce and, and do just amazing post-production work on this stuff. Uh, it's just such beautiful, such sharp, such crisp stuff. Uh, but the video is super cool. Um, it's a really cool just like profile of, of the streets in New York um, and, and a lot of different neighborhoods. He's not just hanging out around Times Square. I mean, it looks like he goes into a few bad neighborhoods um, and just, you know, is photographing the people. Uh, it's what, two, three minutes long, something like that. Um, and it's really, really cool. 
Yeah, I'm actually watching this video right now as we're talking, and the cinematic feel to this video and the black and white, it almost looks like it was shot in like the 1920s mm -hmm. with a super high-end camera back then, and it's like very slow motion. Yeah, it's all black and, and white. Yeah, sure. It's all black and white, yeah. and it just, like you said, it really captures the emotions and the feeling that's going on during this time, and it doesn't feel like something that was shot maybe last week. It really feels like something that was shot many, many years ago, and it's just beautiful. Like, obviously the camera, something that I probably can't afford, but it's it's a beautiful camera, and even on my 4K monitor right now at full screen, it just looks gorgeous. Yeah, I mean... It just started pouring rain here in Colorado, yeah. in case you hear any noise in the background. Well, at least you have a roof over your head. Uh, no, it, it's really cool. I mean, it... There's something about black and white that always feels timeless to me. In fact, uh, my wife and I we were going through our wedding photos, and I keep telling her, like, I just want to convert everything to black and white. I'm doing all yep. the post-production work on my stuff. There's the temptation that it's like, yeah, but wouldn't it be so cool to see color? But there's just something about black and white. I mean, print a photo book full of black and white photos. They, uh -huh. they're, it, it immediately makes it look timeless and classic and just incredible. I don't know what it is. I love it. Um, so yeah, it's cool. And they were also using these free fly mimics, I guess is what they're called. Um, and if you've never seen these kind of stabilization devices before, they're pretty cool. It's basically like two handles that you hold out in front of you, like, a you know, like you're holding onto a, a motorcycle or something. And then between these handles, there's a crossbar that runs across and the camera hangs from it and it's on like a gyroscope. So you can like, you know, move your hands, you can run up mm -hmm. and down the street and the camera is just sort of floating there, um, in midair and they, they, I think I saw one of these for the first time about a year and a half or so ago, and I think I think they were about ten grand. And the oh. price the price is coming way down on them though. I think you can pick one up for a few thousand dollars now, which is That's pretty not too bad. yeah, which is pretty inexpensive because uh, like one of the higher end glide cams with like you know body support and everything is up in the multi thousands of dollars range uh, as well. Um, again, yeah, these are amazing pieces of. I don't even know what you call them, equipment or technology or whatever it might be. But I've seen some of these in action at Comic-Cons and things like that. Yeah. And it, like you said, it literally looks like the camera is floating. These people are moving their arms side to side and up and down. And the camera somehow is staying perfectly still. And obviously when you see this footage being played back, it's like it's gliding across the landscape or the sidewalk. It's incredible how these things are so well made yeah it's just it's beautiful yeah it's it's always fun to look at it when you see somebody with a, a camera on a gyroscope because you know what's happening and you can see it there but it still looks like it's floating it does it's weird so in other news moving on from this beautiful video let's move on to something that's not so beautiful that's hillary clinton's logo for her campaign now it really doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, whether you're right wing, left wing, center wing, up wing, whatever wing you're on. Right, wing bad. This logo, I don't know who designed it, but if you haven't seen it, I'm sure you have seen it, but if you haven't seen it, it's an H. And the right and left uh, band, what, I don't know what you call them, shaft right. yeah. <laughs> is blue. And then there's a, a red arrow going through the middle pointing to the right. And obviously the whole design world and the whole political world is up in arms about this thing because some political people are saying it's pointing to the right, which is the right way forward. Some people are saying it's it's the Twin Towers. And then, of course, the design community is saying it's just plain ugly. And actually, a few designers 
started to create an actual font. I think they called it Helvetica, like Hillary <laughs> and then Helvetica. Right. And they created every letter of the alphabet in this style with basically red and blue and then an arrow going through in some direction. Mm. And so I think someone on Reddit took about five minutes and completely redesigned the logo with the same idea with the H with the arrow and it's so much better looking than this. Right. And I have seen, I saw on Twitter some like a recruiter who was saying that the Hillary Clinton campaign is actually looking to hire a designer and a UX designer. So maybe they kind of figured out, you know, maybe they shouldn't have hired a 13 year old to design this logo. Yeah, it is abysmal. I don't know how else to put it. It looks really bad. I mean, it looks like, it, yeah, it looks like a very amateur designer was hired to design the logo first yep. and foremost. And it looks like a logo that you would have seen on, like, it's not even nice enough to be like a cereal package in the early 90s. <laughs> but it's like that, that's that balance of color, you know what I mean, where everything was very, very contrasting and it had to jump off of the white box. And it just looks bad. I had somebody, uh, there was somebody who I saw on Twitter commenting on it. And they're like, you know, now that I'm kind of seeing it in context with everything else, it actually doesn't look that bad. And I'm just thinking... Now it still looks pretty bad, you know. Yeah. It's 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 pretty awful. Yeah, it's got an arrow pointing to the right, which you know she's left wing, so that's kind of ironic. But then you say, well, if the arrow is pointing to the left, then it's obviously pointing backward, and you want it to be pointing forward, as though you're implying there's going to be forward progress. Um, you know, so it's 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 just bad. It's bad execution. It's a bad idea. Um, it has too many double entendres, politically speaking. You mm -hmm. know, as far as being right wing and all that kind of stuff, I would think to want it to be my campaign logo, especially since this is probably going to be the last time Hillary can run. Um, she's getting up there uh, age-wise. Um, so it's it's pretty bad. It's a pretty now, bad Now, of course, logo. compared to other campaign logos that we've seen in the past, either this running or last running or whatever it is, it's, it's not terrible. But when you're dealing with someone like Hillary Clinton, who has literally millions of dollars to throw at this campaign right. and is raising millions of dollars... Hire a design firm, like an actual design firm, so they can brainstorm and come up with something other than this. Right. If you haven't seen it yet, definitely check out the show notes um, on either of our websites. It's just, I mean, literally a graduate student in college could have probably come up with something a little bit more. And it doesn't really tell much of a story. Yeah, it's red and blue. I mean, she's kind of missing the white, but right. And it's it's an arrow pointing forward, I suppose, but there's really no story around it. I know it's supposed to be simplistic, yeah, it's, but and it's, it's just not retro working. or something, but it's it's not. It's it really misses them. I mean, I'm just looking here. Jimmy Kimmel has a thing he did on it. Um, Bloomberg has a review they did of it. Wired.com, of course, is going to touch on something like this. CNN talked about. I mean, everyone was talking about it. Washington Post had articles on it, um, and it was. It seems like it was pretty clear, not only to the designers and logo designers, that the the logo missed the mark and was quite ugly and quite uh, not very well put together. I'll put it to you that way. Um, so, I mean, the only thing probably that could have made it worse was if it had some sort of phallic symbol some, somewhere <laughs> dropped in there, right? I mean, other than that, it's, it's pretty much consensus that it's a pretty uh, wretched logo. Now, here's an interesting question. Yeah. Hillary obviously announced her candidacy, and she announced – she showed off this logo. and It is the logo for her campaign. Yeah. And with all this backlash around this logo, do you think she's in a position right now – to release a new logo if one comes forward. I, I almost think um, even if the logo didn't stink, 
Just think about um, if you made a big deal and hubbub of redesigning your logo. I mean, politically, people might attack you like, oh, she's already changing and flip-flopping. Mm-hmm. But it could also be something that raises a lot of awareness and attention as well. Do you know what I mean? Like Hillary's mm-hmm. Hillary's old logo is so terrible. Look, she went and changed it. And then Hillary, if she was smart, could spin it into something like, yeah, when I see a problem, I fix it. Ha 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 ha. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I think So I think there's a lot of positivity that could come out of it from her standpoint and her campaign. Um, but yeah, it's, it's bad. <laughs> it is bad. So moving on from logo design to, uh, to more camera related stuff. Uh, we had talked about the 5DS and the 5D R, I believe it was. Something I can't like remember. I can't remember which five these, they were the huge 50 plus megapixel DSLRs Canon, what the Canon had released. Um, I saw Peter Hurley did a video on one of them that he got his hands on. Um, and the resolution is obviously ridiculous. It's competing with, you know, medium format digital cameras when it comes to resolution, not focus and not sharpness and things like that, which is really what you're going to want your medium format for, I would imagine anyway. But anyway, uh, everyone I've been talking at that point about the 5D Mark IV, 5D Mark III is probably the top-selling DSLR camera on the market right now. So the 5D Mark IV would be the uh, the next in line, the next child, if you will, for the 5D series. Um, and it looks like the specs aren't going to be quite as crazy as people thought they were. Uh, the specs are rumored to be an 18-megapixel full-frame camera, although I did see an article um, over at Canon Watch, uh, which is one of these rumor sites, they're rumoring that the 5D Mark IV will have the the normal 5D Mark IV version, which will be a 28 megapixel camera, and then mm-hmm. the cinematic version of the camera would be an 18 megapixel camera. Um, so the anyway, but let's just say for the sake of the argument, it's an 18 megapixel full frame CMOS sensor, of course, ISO that runs between 100 and 204,800, <laughs> uh, 61 AF points, all cross type AF points, 12 frames per second shooting, which is crazy fast, dual CFast card slots, and 4K video capture. Yes. Now this probably for a camera that uh, is going to cost about four grand if I had to put a price tag on it. Um, maybe a little bit less than that. I know most 5Ds when they launch them are right around like 3200 3299 which would mm-hmm. be a little bit easier to swallow. But a couple quick things about uh, this camera. Uh, number one, some people might immediately jump at the 18 megapixel and say, what in the world? Uh, number one, it looks like Canon is trying to make a camera that's an absolute animal in low light, um, which is good. They need something that's going to help compete with Nikon because Nikon generally, everybody's going to tell you great noise, great low light capability. And I've, I mean, I've harped on that all the time for years. Uh, when I talk to people about Nikon versus Canon, that's the difference in my mind uh, for the most part. Uh, so, but 18 megapixel really is much more important when it comes to 4K video because more megapixels coming out of your sensor is not necessarily a better thing for mm-hmm. the quality of your video. Higher quality megapixels can be a much better thing. And 18 megapixels is the size of a 4K frame. So you sort of have this uh, 5D Mark IV now being built uh, where 4K video is really going to be an integral part of what this DSLR can do for you. So I totally understand why Canon would go with 18 megapixels. In fact, the Canon 1DX, the big flagship camera, that's 18 megapixels. So um, I, I think what the 5D Mark IV is teaching me is I should buy the 5D Mark IV 
as my should backup. Buy one for me too. As a backup camera. And then I should go and buy the Pentax medium format camera, which is like 60 megapixels and has all the medium format, you know, mm. bells and whistles, you know, where you've got the super shallow depth of field because that's only like 13 grand with the lens that I would need for it. And I say only because fa- only 13 grand. because because phase one is up in the 40,000s. So mm. and Hasselblad is also up there in the 30s and 40,000s. So Pentax is a really great medium format camera. So if you want big megapixels, um, you can look at the 5DR and the 5DS, I believe they're called. Um, they don't have video though. So they're just, they're super high quality still cameras, which, you know, I mean, let's face it, 95% of photographers uh, who are, you know, for photographers who are buying these cameras, they're not using the video features anyway. Of course, there's YouTubers and everyone like that who's buying these Canon 5D Mark III's and using them for video. That's great. I understand that. And the Mark IV will be amazing for them because then they'll be able to shoot in 4K. The other thing that I think is important to note, well, a couple things. It would be nice if you could control the spot metering a little bit more in the camera. So if they have these 61 AF points, it'd be nice if you could spot meter from a focus point instead of just boom the middle of the photo. That's number one. Um, number two would be the CFast cards. Uh, CFast cards, while wow, they're very fast, I think it's like 350 megabit per second transfer rate or something. It's twice as fast as like the next fastest card on the market. So I understand using it for 4K video. They're ridiculously expensive. I'm talking between five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks for like a 128 gig card. Um, and if you're shooting 4K video, you're going to need 128 gig cards, 256 gig cards, uh, and so on and so forth. I think a 256 gig Lexar CFast card is about $1,000. Oh my gosh. So yeah, paying a huge amount of money for the memory. Now, that being said, remember CFast is pretty new. Not a lot of cameras are using it. Blackmagic did just come out with a 4.6K 4. camera called the Ursa Mine... Uh, Mini, excuse me, I keep calling it the Ursa Minor, the Ursa Mini, uh, which is a 4.6K camera, and that also is shooting to CFast, and I had a buddy of mine just the other day complaining to me about that just because of the price of CFast cards, um, so I know that's going to become an issue, this is dual CFast cards, so you have two, it would have been nice to see something like CFast and SD card, uh, or something like that, uh, that would have allowed some sort of compatibility, I mean, I know now if I'm going to get the 5D Mark IV, I'm going to have to get rid of a lot of my regular compact flash cards because I don't, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how backwards compatible if it's just like UDMA where you can put in a, another C, uh, a compact flash card in there and you're fine. I'm not sure. Um, so I don't know enough about CFast to know that, but I do know it's really, really fast and it's really darn expensive. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it looks like it's a great camera. Um, yeah. Would you buy one, Howard? Would I buy? I, I, <sighs> I mean, well, and, and, and real quick to interrupt you, I only say that because last week we talked about the XC10, which was yeah. that 4K. It looked like a dedicated 4K camera, and it had 12 megapixel stills. You're obviously not going to get your DSLR level quality and sharpness and everything like that. I wouldn't think out of that camera. That was 2,500 bucks. Let's say this is 32 or 3,300 dollars for the Mark IV. Would you pay less than a thousand dollars more to have a full-fledged DSLR and still get that 4K video? You know, I probably would, depending on how the 4K video looks. Of course, it has to perform well in low light because most of what I shoot for my YouTube videos mm. is filmed in my office or one of my other offices uh, in my home. And I don't have great lighting. I have a softbox and a ring light, but it's not enough to really 
make up for low uh, noise performance or low low light low light performance, whatever the term right. is. Lack of um, lack of light. That's the word. <laughs> right. uh, so what I but I, I probably would because I well I'll tend put, uh, to, to interrupt you again. Yeah. The rumor is that the sensor and the way that the 5D Mark IV video, 4K video is going to work, takes from that C300 Mark II that we talked about last week, which is like 16 grand. Mm. And the C100, 300, 500 series are renowned for having amazing depth in their videos. The bit depth is amazing. The dynamic range it's capturing is incredible. I mean, I'll put it to you this way. Personally, if it has anything close to a C100, 300, or 500 video quality, I don't see how you could let it go, uh, you know, especially considering you still would have a full-fledged still camera. But, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I, I'm using my camera, I'm assuming, much more often than you're using yours. So that's why I'm curious mm-hmm. from your, like, you're you're a true blue YouTuber. You know what I mean? Like, even full screen, you're all about YouTube and, and generating content like that. And that's why I'm curious to hear, you know, like your sort of the, the the process you're going through when you're looking at something like this and saying, you know, is it worth it? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's difficult because I do shoot my tutorials in 4K and I do have an intro and an outro. But the question that I have to ask myself is, would it be worth $3,300 or whatever it might be just to shoot intros and outros for my YouTube videos? I don't know. I mean, of course I would use the camera for other purposes, taking photos and things like that. And honestly, the 18 megapixels doesn't really concern me because I'm not printing my images and I'm not really zooming into very many of my images. So 18 megapixels is more than enough for me. But I, 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 I don't know. I think every year I tend to buy one or two major upgrades for either cameras or computers just so I have a tax write-off for the following year so maybe this year if it does come out this year maybe this will be one of my major purchases I don't know but I definitely need a 4k camera at some point whether this is the one or not we'll see right we'll buy it and then tell your wife you bought it because you're an American you need the tax write-off there you go so it's easy to justify if you or Canon if you're listening we are looking for sponsors Right, Set. we will record podcasts for cameras. Yeah, and we'll we'll do a video podcast as well. We will yeah. talk about them. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, <laughs> if you you give them to us, we'll use them to shoot video for the podcast, and we'll have yeah, video we podcast as well. Sure. Why not? So anyway, so that's pretty, that pretty much on. wraps up. You know what? what yeah. the, the news portion of the show. So. Moving on to questions, we have three this week. The first one is from Matt Elwood. I like following individual accounts, but sometimes. Uh, sometimes show specific accounts can be fun as well at what point of success for the podcast do you guys feel it would be necessary to have social media accounts for the podcast and I'm assuming he's talking about the Weed Geeks podcast and obviously we're in show 10 we're getting there we're moving along we're getting a few hundred listens per episode which is nice but I don't think at this point in time that warrants a social media account. Now, that being said, I do like the idea of dedicated social media accounts for specific projects like podcasts, but I feel, and this is just my opinion, it would have to be something that we're putting in a lot of effort into and we're getting thousands upon thousands of listens Mm -hmm. per week and that's bringing in sponsors and sponsorship money and things like that because this you know running a social media account or running multiple additional social media accounts would probably take up a lot of additional time yeah and 
with me having a full-time job and doing my YouTube stuff on the side and doing the podcast and you doing your YouTube stuff and photography and all the other things that you do, I don't know if I would have the time right now. So maybe in the future, if we're bringing in a little bit more money, whether through Patreon or pod or uh, sponsorships, maybe we can get like a, an intern or hire somebody to run mm. our additional account or, you know, I don't know what do you think. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of along the same lines. I, I don't necessarily have anything against uh, a standalone Twitter or Facebook or anything like that. But it, yeah, it's just more stuff to run and keep up with. And if you create a social media account and you can't keep up with it, it appears dead. And when you have something like that that appears dead, um, you have people who will go to that, let's say, your Facebook page and say, oh, they haven't posted anything in three weeks. Maybe nothing's happening here anymore. And then you lose a follower or a, or a potential follower, something like that. So, you know, and I feel like there's a lot of people who brand themselves more as personalities on the web and people you can follow who have these shows rather than shows you can follow that have these people. And I know that's been sort of the focus that I've been trying to take with Tutvid over the last few years is, you know, it's 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 a website that I run. And if you follow me, you'll see the stuff that goes up on Tutvid. And therefore, if I'm also involved in these podcasts or a podcast, you'll see stuff about the podcast by following my page or my Twitter feed or whatever. Um, so, I mean, if yeah, if the show blows up and is huge um, and we're getting, you know, all kinds of crazy attention and stuff like that, then... Yeah, I mean, it might make sense, but I still feel like, like you said, Howard, we would need to hire somebody or, uh, you know, have an intern. And actually, it's funny, I, I replied almost exactly what you said about hiring somebody to the on Facebook um, as my response to the question that, you know, we basically would need to hire somebody or, or hire a social media team or something who could handle that and really do it justice instead of, you know, I, I hate to pick something up and do it half-heartedly. You know, I feel like I've done that with enough enough things uh, in my life and business, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I would want to go all out if we were to do something like that. Yeah, totally agree. And I, I definitely agree with the whole personality running a show rather than a show with personalities. And that's something I've struggled with over the years. When I first launched my YouTube channel, I was strictly Iceflow Studios. Nobody even knew my name. And then slowly I introduced myself as Howard. And then, and then I, you know, opened up and I'm Howard Pinsky. Uh, and I think that's done a tremendous amount of it's helped me a lot in trying to actually become or present myself as a professional in this industry because when you're teaching something like Photoshop or teaching anything, you really can't go by a username like Iceflow Studios. People don't take you seriously. Right, yeah. Dark, and, dark Cyanide 366 or something. Yeah, really. Right, yeah. And even to this day, I'm still struggling to make that transition. My YouTube channel is now, the name is just Howard Pinsky, but my Facebook account is still Iceflow Studios. My mm. Twitter account is still Iceflow Studios because I still can't get Twitter to release the Howard Pinsky or just Pinsky usernames, which are have been dead since 2007. Right. But it's I, I definitely agree that I prefer personality who who's running a show rather well, than yeah. a show and with the, personality. Right, the web is personal. And I mean, there's a radio station here in Philadelphia that I, they're always like, juggling the the talk shows that they have and they're always creating these new twitter accounts for them you know the so and so and so and so show the this and that show the blah 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 show and it's just like just give me the people who are on the show i'll follow them and i'll get the updates that way you know what i mean yep. because it's kind of the same group of people working at the station but they're just juggling them between stations you know so i just feel like it's much easier to to follow those people but i know i i mean i understand this point that you know it can be fun to follow individual shows and kind of have the information all clustered in that one area for you for you to look at and parse through so i mean i get it so we've got nick 
Uh, Nick says, great podcast, guys. Thanks, Nick. I uh, look forward to it every week. Thanks again. Uh, just curious, what are Howard and your days, uh, what are Howard and you, what are your days off like? Uh, I see Howard staying at home and you still working all the time. Uh, we sound like a married couple. You, <laughs> he stays at home and you, you're out working all the time. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, it's a long distance relationship of sorts, I suppose. Mm. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I don't, I guess I don't take too many days off. I don't work on Sundays. So that's, I mean, that's, that's number one. So, I mean, I do have one big day off. And when I say I don't work on Sundays, I don't turn my phone on. Uh, I can't even get a hold of yeah, you. Yeah, it's, Im- it's impossible to get a hold of me. <laughs> I so don't even try anymore. It's a tech purging day. I'm in church basically all day. Um, so I'm, I'm out of it on Sundays. So, I mean, if that's considered a day off, then, you know, I'm, I'm kind of not working all the time then outside of then, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a weird balance. Um, cause you know, like I could be working in the afternoon and I could have my niece and nephew come over and forget it. I'm distracted for two hours. You know what I mean? Um, so it's, it's that kind of thing. And, and just, you know, distractions of life happen as well. Um, you know, so, I mean, I'm not, there's never a point when I'm working all the time. Um, days off wise, I mean, I would say there's more of them now that I'm married where it's like we find stuff to do on the weekend or there's family we're supposed to visit or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say I try, I try to be working most of the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, Howard, what, what are your, what yeah, are your I'm, like? I'm very similar. I'm, I'm working almost every day. I mean, obviously at my full-time job at full screen, I work Monday to Friday, nine to six or whatever it is. And, um, I try to take the nights off to watch some hockey or whatever, or just spend time with my wife. But I have so much going on with YouTube and the podcast and things like that. My weekends are, I work Saturdays and Sundays as well, mostly on, well, I, you don't work Sundays, but I work Saturdays and Sundays, mostly on my YouTube stuff because I don't really have time to do that stuff during the week. Mm-hmm. So I cram that stuff on Saturday and Sunday, usually all day. But again, I try to take the nights off to either play, do a little bit of gaming or go out for uh, some food or even just watch some hockey. Yeah, I was gonna, there's no more watching hockey for you because the, the Maple Leafs totally missed the playoffs. Well, so. both my teams, the Leafs <laughs> and the Kings, completely missed the playoffs. But, uh, you know, I, I am jumping on bandwagons. I just do, I love hockey in general, so right. my wife you're, and I are you're watching. Canadian. You're Canadian. I am, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. enough said right there. <laughs> There you go. So yeah, days off. I mean, for both of us, I think they don't really exist that much. But we try to make. I think it's very important to try to make some free time so you don't go absolutely insane. Especially if you have uh, loved ones, or if you're married, or if you have nieces or nephews. Spend time with those people because in an instant, all of it could just disappear. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it don't don't you don't want to burn yourself out when it comes to design, yeah. and just from a creativity standpoint, you can burn out. But also, you know, how many old people do you run into that say, "I wish I'd spent less time with my kids," That's or, true. or "I wish I'd spent more time working," or whatever. Yep. So yeah. So our final question is from Caleb, and I believe he's submitted questions before on Twitter. How do you manage project workflow and organization? Example: multiple revisions, different use versions, etc. Um. I don't really have much of a, a workflow. I say I have a ton of revisions. I'm a huge fan of revisions, whether it's in a single file or in multiple files. Sometimes in single files within Photoshop, I'll create multiple groups um, or mul- just multiple versions of that document within that single Photoshop file. But if it's something massive, I'll save it as, you know, um, Hillary Clinton's logo underscore zero zero one well zero zero two zero zero two yeah I would hope it'd be zero zero two that we'd be going with 
I hope so, yeah. Pro probably whoever designed that logo is probably just at revision one right now. They'll get to number two eventually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't really have much in terms of workflow organization. I just kind of, you know, if it, I just save multiple files, I guess. Yeah, I would say establish naming conventions. Uh, it's pretty much as simple as that, you know. Uh, X client's name, maybe the project, depending on if you're working on multiple projects for them, um, version one. You know, oh, that's that's a two. good point, actually, because there's been so many times where I'm looking for a project, even whether it's personal or for a client that I did maybe a few weeks back or a few months back, and I, I pop open Spotlight on my Mac, I start searching, and nothing comes up. And then I realize I named it like Joe Schmo's Dinery when it's really, in reality, Hillary Clinton's logo. Right, yeah. So, I mean, so definitely name your files well. Yeah, and, and be consistent with the names. Even something like I'm very picky about whether or not I use dashes or underscores to separate words. Right. Or if you use anything to separate words, maybe you're going to camel code where the first word is lowercase and every subsequent word has an uppercase letter. So just stuff like that. It'll make it easier for you to find and recognize your files later on down the road. Um, I mean, that's 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 how I handle revisions. I mean, there's so much that goes into just workflow in general um, that, you know, I mean, we could spend a whole show talking about workflow and dealing with clients and you know multiple versions of something and revisions etc 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 awesome and that will probably just wrap it up for today's 25 dollar gift card let's go with matt elwood yeah yeah that'd be yeah, good that's a good that's a good question got us talking a little bit and thinking a little bit about the future of the show hopefully it's a bright future and if you guys want to help ensure that it's a bright future make sure to follow us on all of our social media accounts i'm at iceflow studios nathaniel's at tutfid share the podcast that is one of the biggest things you can do other than supporting us on Patreon, share the podcast with your friends. Share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter. I think on both of our websites and on iTunes and SoundCloud, there are sharing buttons. Yeah. Click the sharing button, send it around with your friends, even if one additional per person watch it or listens, I should say, and subscribes to the podcast. That goes a long way. So no, share the are, podcast. Those are some of the you, best things. Yeah, and if you really like the show and you want to contribute and possibly even be shouted out on our podcast, head over to patreon.com slash wegeeks and just tip us a dollar or so every month and we'll be very happy. We'll buy coffees and things like that and possibly upgrade our equipment at some point in the future. We do want to do a video podcast at some point, so we'll have audio and then video on YouTube as well. Yeah. But that requires a lot more time, a lot more effort, and probably funding. So if we get to that point, we'll definitely appear on your screens for all of your eyes yeah i think that'll be pretty cool so yep. that'll just about wrap up episode number 10 and then we have to figure out what we're doing for episode 11 but like we said it'll probably be something that's going to be a, a topic-based show which i think is going to be a ton of fun i think so if we can figure out the right topic i think we'll we'll definitely i don't know if it'll be a whole hour but maybe it will be maybe we'll just run with it yeah you never know time always flies so Awesome. So thanks so much for listening, guys. Share, subscribe, and we'll see you guys. Well, we'll you will listen to us next week. Next next time. Take it easy, everybody. Later.